Amen. Good morning, church. Welcome to Next Community Church. My name is Gerald, one of the pastors here, and uh, a special good morning to those of you, if you're a guest or you're a visitor, first time with us, welcome to Next. We're, we're honored that you're here. We pray that um, you'd feel welcomed, that we'd be a blessing to you. You being here is a blessing to us. If there's a way that we can help you, connect with you, serve you, let us know. We'd love for you to let us know you're here. Fill out that little card in front of you. Uh, we have a gift up front that we want to give you. Just bring it up to that front desk where you walked in, and um, thanks so much for being here. We're in the middle of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We talked last week. We had our eyes opened up again, perhaps, and reminded again that the Christian life is, is a battle. And we talked about <laughs> we've got to make sure we're not thinking the Christian life is like living on a playground, but rather it's more like living on a battleground. Because how you think and act on a playground is very different than how you would think or act on a battleground. And the Apostle Paul shared that his desire was, he was down in Corinth at the time in Greece, he wanted to get back up to Thessalonica to visit with these guys because he got ran out of town, he only got to spend three and a half weeks with them, he had to leave in the middle of the night, and he said, I wanted to get back to you, but I couldn't. And the reason he couldn't get back was because Satan. Satan, he said, hindered me. And, and so we were reminded last week about the reality of our enemy and the reality of the battleground that we find ourselves in. And so that's where we left off last week. And Paul kind of picks up that mentality today and, and talks a little bit more <clears throat> Excuse me about that. He says, I'm going to get this bottle of water real quick because I can tell it's going to be an issue. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, I like to say he reached his, his Popeye moment. You all remember Popeye? Any of those of you like 40 and older, you remember Popeye? <laughs> That's all I can stand because I can't stand no more, right? And he chug his spinach and beat up the bad guy, Brutus, right? And so, or Bluto, Bluto, Brutus, Brutus, right, right? And so, so, you know, Apostle Paul's reaching his Popeye moment. His secret, though, isn't spinach. He's got another secret. He says, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. I'm going to put up a map in a second just so you can kind of see what's going on here. I think it's, it's I want you to see where, what's, this really took place, real places, he says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith. Right? So, so just a reminder here of what's going on. Go ahead and throw that map up if you would. Um, the Apostle Paul started this church on his second missionary journey. On his first missionary journey, he left from Syria, which is just over here on the bottom right, right above where Israel is. He left from Antioch. He went up into, that's modern-day Turkey. He went up into Asia Minor and, and, and started several churches up there. And then he traveled across the Aegean Sea into Greece and started the first church in Europe. The first church ever in Europe started and, and in Philippi. And then he got ran out of Philippi. Remember, he got beaten. Uh, it didn't end well for him there. He traveled 100 miles down to Thessalonica. He started a church in Thessalonica. Let me tell you about Jesus. People said yes. Some people got angry. He got ran out of town in the middle of the night. He then went over to Berea. 
He then, the Thessalonians, the bad crowd, chased him down to Berea and chased him out of town Berea. And so then he came down the coast and he ended up down there in Athens. And when he was there in Athens, he's like, man, this is not the way I wanted things to go. This, it certainly wasn't his plan. And, and you, gotta, you, you see his heart come out in, in all of 1 Thessalonians. I think I told you all last week, sit down and just read 1 Thessalonians one sitting, 18 minutes, right? And just see the heart of Paul come out and, and put it up against your heart and be like, all right, where, where am I off? And man, he just loved these people. And it was, he got left in the middle of the night. And, and so here he is. I'm like, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if they know I didn't want it to go that way. I want, oh man, I wonder if the, the crowd that ran them out are coming back. I wonder if they're giving them a hard time. I wonder if some of them bailed on the faith. They just said, forget it. Jesus ain't worth it. I'm like, oh, I wonder if the church is even in existence. I wonder, did it shut down? I wonder, how are they doing? What's going on? Right? Paul wanted to get back to them. And so what he does is here in Athens, he's going to send Timothy back up to them. Right? A little bit more inconspicuous than Paul showing up in town. He's going to send his young protege, Timothy, who was 18, 19, 20. And he's going to send them the 300 plus miles back up to Thessalonica, he says, to see how they're doing and to strengthen and encourage their faith. Man, you don't, you don't think God can use young kids, right? There he is, going 300 miles by himself. And I, I don't know about you, I'm worried sending my 18-year-old to the store to pick up three things. Here's the three things you got to get. This, this, this. And he comes back with two, right? That's, oh, I forgot. You only had three, right? And so here's Paul using Timothy to go 300 miles by himself to be strengthen the church. And then Paul moves over to Corinth, and he starts writing them a letter. And Timothy comes back. And it returns. And, and now Paul's going to talk about that. And this is the letter that Paul is writing. And he says this. Um, he's going to go on and say, let me pause and say this a little bit about Timothy real quick too. Because I think this is important. Is imagine you're Timothy. All right? You're 18, you're 19, you're 20. You're a young guy. Um, you're Paul's kind of uh, 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 protege. And he sends you on this mission to travel by yourself 300 miles back up. And, and oh, by the way, and, and Timothy's like, wait a minute. Boss, I got, I got a question. Right. You want me to go back to the place where we had to leave in the middle of the night because the town was in a riot? Right. That's where I want you to go. You want me to go there? Right. By myself? Right. Anyone sign up for that job? Right. The place that you just got kicked out of, I need you to come back in and see how they're doing. And so, so, so Timothy goes, and, 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 and here's... All of this is a step of faith. I mean, this whole thing is, is it, wasn't, it wasn't the way that Paul had to, He didn't want to leave in the middle of the night. He didn't want to be there only three weeks. And there's a couple takeaways I want to challenge you with. Takeaway number one is this, from this, is how do you react when things don't go the way that you wanted them to go? I love what Paul did. He, he, he was so in tune with God that he would just adapt and adopt on the fly and, and would, would kind of say, all right, this wasn't the way I wanted it to go. He didn't quit. He didn't throw a temper tantrum. He's like, okay, God must have other plans. And so walking with God and trying to figure out what are the new plans. That's, by the way, how he got over. Can you throw that map map up for me and just leave that up until we move on to the next one? Um, that's how he got over to Greece in the first place. His plan was to go up into Bithynia. 
That was his plan. And God's like, no, we're going to start some churches in Europe. We're going over to Greece. And so how do you handle it when your plans don't go according to your plans? And what if your plans were not God's plans, and so God just redirected your plans onto his plans? And I, a part of me wonders how many times, how many dozens, hundreds, thousands of times I missed God's plans because I was so focused on my plans, what I wanted to do. We miss what, what God perhaps has for us to do. And then Timothy here, this, this young guy, full of faith. And uh, I said it last night, Saturday night service, one of the people attend here, uh, we were out to lunch, we were talking about faith last year, and he said to me, Joe, do you know how to spell faith? And I, I, I mean, I thought... He was like quizzing me and testing me. I mean, don't you, don't you, no, I got a master's degree. Yeah, I know how to spell faith. F-A-I. He's like, nope. How do you spell faith? He goes, R-I-S-K. I get it. I see what you did there. I'm like, you're right. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Isn't faith going to stretch you? Isn't it going to be stepping out where you're like, I'm not totally comfortable with this. This is way outside my comfort zone. I don't know how this is going to go. This is not normally me, right? This is, this is, uh, this is actually a little bit, could be dangerous. I could, I'm risking something here. And isn't all of that, if, it's, if there's none of that, and it's just kind of easy peasy as normal, and you're just kind of going with the flow, and I, like, where's the faith in that? And so there is a little bit of risk that needs to be involved in faith. And then we come back to faith and you say, Hebrews 11, God says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So according to kind of what God is looking for is men and women that are willing to risk it a little bit, willing to take steps of faith a little bit, willing to travel 300 miles on your own to go back to the town that you just got kicked out of violently. And I wonder if we have any people that are willing to risk it, to spell faith, R-I-S-K, and say, let's go. God's got this. Not my plans, but I'm following God. And so Paul is, um, he says, man, I, he reaches his Popeye moment. He says, when I, I can't stand it any longer. I need to know how you guys are doing. He goes on in verse 3. He says this, I sent you Timothy and I wanted him to strengthen you so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. And then he drops this one on them. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Appointed. In other words, an appointment has been made. Afflictions. Party of one. For you. That's what Paul says. In fact, he says, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the nice Jesus Christian life that some people are promising out there where everything's going to be okay and I'm going to be healthy and wealthy and wise and Jesus is going to make my life all better. Paul's only there three weeks. These are baby Christians. You know what Paul's new believer training course was? <laughs> it's going to be hard. You're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through afflictions and trials and persecutions. And then he told them a lot about the end times. He waded right into the deep pool with these kids. He just threw the baby Christians in the deep pool and said, let's talk about some of the deep stuff of the faith. 
He said, I told you in advance you're going to go through this stuff. And then he says, it happened. Uh, we're uh, going to come back to this. We're going we're to spend a lot of time this morning talking about afflictions. So We've got to talk about this. And I really, church, I, I, my prayer is that you would walk out of here today convinced that you and I will have a biblical view, a biblical lens, a biblical framework of pain. Of, uh, that you would develop a biblical theology of trials and tribulations and afflictions and hardships. That it's almost too hard to try and figure it out when you're in the middle of the storm. And then, and then we start asking all kinds of, frankly, kind of silly questions you're going to see here in just a little bit. Questions like, why? Why, God, is this happening? Why are you letting me go through this? God, why is this happening? God's got other questions he's going to invite you to ask him. But if, you're, if your framework and your theology of storms, trials, pain, is not developed before you get into it, and so today my hope is that we're going to talk about this. We'll come back to these verses, but I want to read on. My hope is that you'll develop a biblical framework of, of pain to recognize that there's something God is doing in it and through it. Right, So he says, I told you guys you're going to have hard times. And as you know, it happened. Verse 5, he says, for this reason, this is not a repeat. This is not a typo. He's saying it again. I could not longer stand it. I could no longer stand it. I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter, oh, here he is. He shows up again, our enemy, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing, that you guys just gave up. He tempted you away from Jesus. You folded up shop, church closed. It's not worth it. This is all going on in Paul. He says, verse 6, but now Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy gets back just in time. Paul's writing the letter. Timothy shows up, and Paul's like, Timothy, how are they? It's a church even there. How are they doing? How are things going there? And he says, Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Paul's like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness you still want to see me. You know it wasn't my heart to leave you in the middle of all this. Like, oh, you guys want to see me? It's like I want to see you. Verse 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. <clears throat> Paul's so encouraged about their faith. It's interesting, verse 6. Can you jump back to me for verse, verse 6? Um, in verse 6 he says, But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news. Um, for a thousand Bible trivia points. Anybody want to know what the Greek word is there for good news? It is, the Greek word is literally evangelium. That is the word for gospel. The Greek, all throughout the New Testament, the Greek word is, it's where we get our word evangelism from. Evangelism literally means good news. But in Greek, it's evangelium. And so we translate it evangelism, or we translate it good news, or we translate it gospel. And so right here, this is an interesting little nugget, right here 
it's translated good news. It is the only time evangelium is used, and it's used dozens of times in the New Testament. It's the only time it literally means just some good news. It doesn't mean the gospel. It's not talking about evangelism, sharing Jesus, sharing your faith. It literally just means good news, evangelium. That's, that's the, but that is the whole point, is that Jesus is good news, right? That talking about Jesus is good news. Don't people like to share good news? Hey, I got some good news you got to hear. I got to right? People love to share good news. People love to hear good news. Evangelism is sharing good news. Why is it when we have good news about Jesus, all of a sudden we get, whoop, I get real quiet about sharing that good news. And so Paul here is so relieved. Why? Because there's a principle here, that, and it kind of goes along with the theme that we've been talking about here, um, of what it really means to be a church. And we're drawing that out as we go through Thessalonians. We get a picture of how they were being church together how they were a family together. And, and that's really, again, what you kind of get here. Paul, Paul understands, listen, that when, when you have Jesus in your life and somebody else has Jesus in your life and the Holy Spirit's in your life, and all, it, it, it means that you are linked together by something so powerful. It, it means that they literally become your family, your spiritual family. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because your spiritual family you feel closer to, more of an affinity to, more in common with, more, uh, uh, more uh, uh, fellowship with than you do your blood family. You're, you feel like a stranger if you're a follower of Jesus in your own family when they're not. And you feel this kinship with other believers. It's like, what is that? Why do I feel closer to you than because it's Jesus that kind of puts you in, 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 in common together. The Holy Spirit in you. And, and it it is literally what a picture of the church should be, this, this close relationship that's like a family, together, literally. And I want to I rabbit trail here just a little bit about this, because um, if you think about back then, you know how many churches there were in Thessalonica? How many? One. <laughs> One. You didn't wake up and be like, hey, let's try a new church this morning. Like there, there was, there was, there, you, that was, this was your church, and these were your people. And you were linked hand in hand together, and you're going through trials, and it's really hard, but you've got a spiritual family that is there for you, walking with you, has things in common with you. You fall down, they pick you up. They fall down, you pick them up. I mean, they are literally your spiritual family. And you, you, didn't, you would never want to leave that. The, the challenge, and this is, this is not a critique of, of you or us, this is more of kind of, of, of what's happening, I think, in church world in America and why I think the church is losing ground and the spiritual climate is just dropping in, in our nation is, is because how many churches are within a 10-mile radius of here? Dozens, right? Dozens. I mean, you pass four on the way to church here today. And, and part of, part of this, is, this is Joe's hypothesis here, so this isn't gospel, this is what I think is happening. And I think I'm right. And so, <laughs> is that the church has lost her power and influence in the culture because of what we've kind of made church. 
And we've bought into this kind of consumer mentality where church is for me rather than me coming to my family together and how can I serve you, love you, bless you, help you? Rather, it's how can the church serve me, help me, bless me? And, and, and so then you come in as a consumer and then you treat the church like a consumer, like you would any other product. Where we're looking for reviews and we want to do that and how's it going to do this? And then we come and we give it a shot and we see how it goes. And it's like, well, I like this and I don't like this. And, 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 and then all of a sudden the guy up front says something that you don't like and it's, go- well, you know what? No big deal. Why? We'll go four minutes down the road and we can go to this, this one over here. And, and, and what ends up happening, and this is going to sound really self-serving, and, I, and my, honestly, my heart is not for it to, to be self-serving about, about next, about our church, about me, about me. It's really about the health of all of the churches in America. Back then, there was no smorgasbord of churches for you to pick and choose. You had your family that you were locked in, and you know what? You figured it out. When there was stuff, you know what you didn't do? You didn't take your anger, your resentment, your bitterness, put it in your backpack, strap it on, and then go down the street to the next church and unload all this stuff that you brought with them into that church, making sure that that church didn't do the stuff of your last. There was none of that. There was just this family of believers. And you know what you had to do? You had to work it out. That's why in the New Testament, there's all these one another verses. There's 59 of them, one another verses. Love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, encourage one another. On it, 59 of them, why? Because it's like, hey, your family, work it out. Don't bail on it. And what ends up happening is when we just kind of play musical chairs with the sheep in the different churches, is the church never becomes strong and stable and anchored and spiritually growing. I'm not talking numerically growing. I'm talking about the sheep spiritually growing because you've grown through adversity and difficulties and trial, and God used some of that to knock off the rough edges of you rather than you just bringing your rough edges to the next church across town. And, and so there's a, there's a strengthening of the church that, that enables it to be this buttress of truth, it says in Hebrews, for the world. You get what I'm saying a little bit? And, I, and don't, I'm not talking to anybody here, because I recognize for, for 99% of you, this is not your first church, so it's not like, oh, he's talking to me. No, I'm not talking to you. I'm saying this is what's happening in America, but I am talking to you and challenging you, and this is where it sounds really self-serving, and I know my heart in this is, is just stay and talk. And I'll, I, I raised my hand last week when we all raised our hands and said, I, we got stuff. Remember we did that? I raised my hand and said, I got stuff. You have an imperfect pastor who's going to lead imperfectly, who's going to preach imperfectly. And so let's talk. Let's, let's let grace and love work through the stuff that kind of we don't see eye to eye on. Let's, 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 figure, let's grow together through that. And don't, don't run away and don't leave and don't... And I'm not saying there's never time to leave a church, so here my heart is, but I'm just saying in general, right? And so let's, let's stay. Let's, let's be a healthy family together. Treat the church not like a, not like a restaurant where you're, you're, you're giving reviews and like you come in every Sunday morning, come in, and I'm waiting to be served. I'm waiting for the waitress to come. Oh, she's slow this morning. She's not taking my order. She forgot to refill my drink, right? right? Wrong mentality, 
to have of coming to a family gathering? What would it look like if when you pulled into the parking lot, you pulled in and you said, how can I serve somebody here? How can I bless somebody here? If we all came with that kind of mentality, to say, I'm here to help and to serve and to bless rather than to take and to receive and to get. Thank you, brother. I got one guy that's going to do it. The rest of you are like, nah, nah, I like getting. I just, I'm going to keep coming getting. All right. All right. That was the rabbit trail. I'm back. All right. If I offended you, come talk. Let's practice it, right? Not right now, like literally right now, but after you come talk to me. Send an email to um, deb at nextcc.org. We'll get in touch with you. Let's go back. Let's talk about trials. Let's talk about afflictions. That's really the meat of what I wanted to talk about this morning, is affliction and, and trials, okay? Um, verse 3. We'll go back to verse 3. He's, Paul says this, um, I'm sending you, Timothy, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that you are appointed to this. Oh, this is so different, church, than the preachers that you're going to hear on TV, some of them even very popular, doing conferences and things like that, that are, are, are talk like God is here to just bless you. And, and that is God's heart. He's a blesser. But if we never talk about the, the blatant things that are in Scripture, I mean, this is, this is what boggles my mind about Paul in his three-week New Believers class he did with this new church, is he's talking about, are, are you sure? You sure you want to come follow Jesus? Because let me tell you what you're signing up for. You're making an appointment right now for pain and trials and affliction. Ad- ad- adversity is coming to you, right? In fact, he says, when we were with you, we told you in advance you're going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. It, the question then becomes not, will I face problems? The question then becomes, what will I do when the problems come? That becomes the question. The question, listen, I'm going to help you, I hope, get to this point. The question isn't why. Why? Why is the wrong question? God, I pray in the next 10 minutes, is going to say, that question has been asked and answered. The question now is not why. The question becomes what? God, what are you doing? The question becomes, what are you doing when you've let me go through this storm? There's something you want me to see about you, something about me. There's something you want to change, God. You're strengthening me. This trial is something that I don't want, but I know you've allowed it to happen. And so, God, don't let me miss the spiritual exercise, the spiritual lesson that you're going to teach me through this hardship. So many of us, I think, just want to get out from the hardship that we've missed, God's like, no, you missed, you missed why I picked you up and I put you in the gym. I picked you up and I put you in the gym and I put a couple more plates on the bar and I'm like, come on, let's get, I'm going to strengthen you through this. And, and all you did is you just, you just tapped out right too quick. And so let's not miss the opportunities of trials. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about pain and affliction and trials. Because it's a key truth in the Bible. God uses trials for our growth. They are the vegetables of the Bible. Trials. Nobody really likes them. And all you that pretend that you do, you're just lying. (laughs) Nobody really likes them, but you know they're good for you. 
That's what I wrote in my notes. That's true for me. Trials are the vegetables of the Bible, right? That is, that is it. For some of you, maybe it's going to the gym, right? It's like, ah, I don't want to get up early at 5.30 and go to the gym. I hate it. It's dark. I'm tired. You, you don't, but you know it's good for you. That's, that's trials in the Bible. Let's talk about it. I like what Philip Yancey, Philip Yancey, author, said this in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? He says this, Christians don't really know how to interpret pain. If you pin them against the wall in a dark secret moment, many Christians would probably admit that pain was God's one mistake. He really should have worked a little harder and invented a better way of coping with the world's dangers. And I, I, I think none of us want to raise our hand and say, yeah, I admit that, but I think deep down inside, there's a part of us that, that feel that about afflictions. And, and affliction has right, many brothers and sisters, right? Uh, pain, suffering, trials, hardships, storms, all these things kind of just get lumped together with this idea of, man, this, this is not working out the way I thought. This is hard. This is, I'm feeling it. The weight is on me. I don't know what to do here. We, we see these things as enemies of our lives because we, we grow up in Disneyland of a nation that has every comfort in every, right? I mean, just three minutes before I came up here, I texted the guy that controls our air conditioning in here that does it remotely, and I said, hey, it feels hot and stuffy in here. Do you think it does? No? I, I'm sweating like a pig up here. I feel like it does. <laughs> I said, can you cool it down a little bit? And he sent me back text, a text right, right away, sure. Right? And, and with, like, that's crazy, right? And again, it's why I, I feel like you all need to get out of the country and go to a third world country every couple of years to be reminded of how we live is just the lap of luxury. It's comfort. You opened up your fridge this morning, and there's anything that you want was in there, right? And, and, and so um, we, we want comfort, and we don't want pain. I want comfort, and I don't want pain. And the Bible says, no, 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 pain is for your good. And, in, and deep down inside, we say, I don't believe it. I don't believe you, God. So let's, let me read you some scriptures to try and convince us I'm with you in it. Some scriptures on this. First Peter and I'm going around to different authors, different books, so you can see that this is a consistent theme of the Bible. This isn't just one guy's kind of, this isn't just Paul's mentality pain. We're going to jump all around and include Jesus in here. Right? 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Don't be surprised as if something unusual were happening to you. In other words, here's what Peter's saying. Stop asking why. Don't be surprised. Why, God? Why is this happening? Peter's saying, don't be surprised when it comes upon you. Instead, he says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. This is so upside down. You want to talk about stranger things living in the upside down world. Christian life is living upside down. Rejoice when you're suffering. Why? You got to see there's a bigger thing that God's doing here than your immediate comfort. God's like, not high on my goal. Not high on my list. You just stay in comfort. What's high on God's list? Growth. 
you to look more like Jesus. And if he had his own son suffer, guess what, brothers and sisters? If our elder brother suffered at the hands of our father for a bigger goal, get ready for a bigger goal. He says this, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Students, any teenagers in here? Ever made fun of because of Jesus? This is what the Bible says. Listen to this, students. If you are ridiculed, called names, made fun of, not invited to the parties, picked last, for the name of Christ, you're blessed. God says, no, no, I see you. I see you. You're blessed. I'm going to do something bigger in you. Nobody else is going to get. They're not going to understand it. Don't, 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 don't go home, cry. Don't, don't. I know the pain is real. God's like, come to me in the pain. I'm, I'm, there's going to be a blessing that comes. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Peter was no stranger to persecution. He had a front row seat to it. Nero was the emperor at the time where he's writing this, killing Christians, impaling Christians, feeding Christians to the lions. This is, this is the audience that Peter's writing to when he says, hey, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as if something unusual were happening. That's what they were going through. He watched Jesus go through his suffering. Jesus himself said this. This is Jesus. If the world hates you, understand it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world. The world's going to hate you. Jesus said, remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know our dad. They don't know the one who sent me. James, Jesus' half-brother, who Mary and Joseph had, Jesus, you know, Jesus had brothers and sisters. James, who, who, didn't, get, who didn't get his brother was God until, until he died and rose again from the grave. And he's like, oh, all those things are right that you were saying, right? Like, I never knew. And then he wrote the book of James about how to follow his, 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 his half-brother. He says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Consider it not just joy, a great joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When God picks you up and puts you in the gym, he's like, come on, we're going to get strong today, son. We're going to get strong today, daughter. And that's a good day. This is what James is saying. You got to see that as a good day. Let, listen, I love this. James knows us. Verse four, and let endurance have its full effect so that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So when God picks you up, puts you in the storm, puts you in the fire, puts you in the gym, puts the plates on, and you're like, I can't, it's too hard. And you tap out. You're not doing this verse of letting endurance have its full effect. Don't quit it. Don't always be so quick to get out of it. Don't be running from it. Instead, God will... Turn to him. Help me. God, I don't, I don't get it. God, I don't know what to do. 
And you will meet with God in a way, in the storm, in the fire, in the, in the gym, that you don't when everything's just kind of hunky-dory. There will be a deeper, more intimate fellowship that happens in that place than when everything is just fine. Paul himself had to learn this lesson. He was going through something. He, he gave it a nickname. He called his storm fire gym. He called it my thorn in the flesh is what he called it. There's like this thing. And we don't know what it is. And theologians love to have arguments and debates and wonder what it was this, what was it. The, Paul doesn't say what it was. He just called it my thorn in the flesh. And it was his thing. And it was with him a while. He says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. <laughs> and he said to me, Here's my response God gives him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. In other words, Paul, no. I'm going to let you have this, this thorn, this storm, this fire. You know why, Paul? Because it makes you weak. And you know what happens? Listen, Christian. You know what happens when you get weak? <laughs> Again, upside down kingdom. <laughs> You're actually at your strongest then. Why? Because it is then that God's power rests on you. And so listen, in your moment of trial and weakness, it is every opportunity to look up and turn to God and say, I need you. And really learn to lean into him. Really learn to go to that place of intimacy with the good shepherd who says, to you, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. My God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And really believe those things and not be so quick to just want to run away from the trial. Or, you know what? I just got to gotta do it myself. No, I, I just need others to help me. No, you need to turn to him. Turn to the shepherd. Paul then says, okay, if that's what's going to happen, God, you're not taking it away. And when I'm weak, you're really there. I'm strong. Then Paul says this, therefore, I'm going to gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can reside in me. Okay, bring it on then. He's like, I'll take the weaknesses. Verse 10, he says, so I take pleasure, again, upside down kingdom. I take pleasure in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. This is so counter-cultural. It's so counter me. It's so counter you, is it not? So we need, this is why I say, I, we've got to develop this framework of pain and afflictions and suffering. Otherwise, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. Um, let me ask the worship team to come. I, um, I, don't, I don't think I'm a very good counselor um, because um, uh, basically I just kind of We'll throw scripture at you because that's what I always believe truth is going to be the answer. And so people are going through a horrible storm and I'm there to help and I'm just like, oh, this pain's for your good, suck it up, right? That's like, you don't want me as a counselor, right? It's not my, it's not my gift. There's other better people that will help you through 
your problem. Um, but one thing that I always tell people <laughs> that, and I, 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 I get the opportunity to meet people usually in their worst. And it's when they call and they say, I, I, I need to talk, I, I need help. And one of the things that I, I say usually often, <laughs> all the time, to people in the middle of their stuff is that God will not waste this pain. He will not waste this pain. There is something bigger that God is doing. I don't know what it is. I just know the question right now is not why, not why, not why. God's already said, asked and answered. Why? I'm, I'm doing something in you. I'm, I'm chiseling off the rough edges. I put you in the fire because I'm burning off some of the dross and I'm going to bring you out more pure, more righteous, more strong, more holy. Already told you why. So the question isn't why. The question is what? God, what are you doing here? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to get? Don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss the lesson. And so, friends, some of you are in it right now. And I'm just telling you, God sees, God knows, God cares. And he's inviting you to retreat to the good shepherd as a sheep. Learn to crawl up into your father's arms, the good shepherd. That receive your strength from him in the moment of your weakness, in your brokenness, in your pain. And God will not waste this pain. He will not waste this pain. There will be something on the other end. You might not know for a year or for five years or for 20 years. You might not know, but he's a good shepherd. And he will not waste this pain. So we're, we're going to close in worship. And we, we have people that are going to be up here to pray for you. I want you to be prayed for today. I don't want you going home alone, still carrying this. We're trying to continue to increase our altar ministry here because we recognize that prayer is going to be the power that's going to bring God to come to bring uh, breakthroughs in your life. And so it would be a shame if you walked home and, and carried what you brought in here today. Maybe some of you are, are being tempted. He, he brought up Satan again and said, the tempt, I, Paul was afraid to tempt her, tempted them away. Some of you are like, man, I'm in it right now. I'm in the middle of heavy temptation. Let us come pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you're just like, I don't, I don't even get all of this. And, and you, you just need Jesus today. You need to leave here knowing that you're inviting Jesus into your life. You, you come up afterwards and say, I, I just need you to pray. I want Jesus in my life today. Let us pray for you for that, to have Jesus come in. All right? So um, let's stand and let's close in worship.